Welcome to Codex Rex, the video game history podcast. I'm your host, Tyler. And I am your also host, Dax. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, we're just kind of, we're kind of co-hosts here. We just yeah. switch it up, right? Yeah. So each episode, what we do is we talk about um, an in-depth look at some facet of video game uh, history or video game culture and how it has affected the video game um, industry as a whole. But before we get into all that, what have you been up to lately, Docs? Even though I already know the answer to this one. Yeah, I have been playing Blood Bowl most of the day, but I also uh, have been studying for university because I have two tests coming up this December about biochemistry. Oh man, biochemistry. Yeah, let's not talk about biochemistry. Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say that my roommate, my roommate in college was a biochemistry major. And so I got to be an honorary member of the biochemistry club. And I got to go to all these cool biochemistry things, even though I didn't understand any of it. Nice. And so they'd be like, oh, yes, of course. And I'd be like, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I'm just here because this place has beer. Beer. Nice. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> if I nod yeah. enough, you guys get me more beer. <laughs> yeah, right? You've also been playing Blood Bowl, right? Yeah. Oh, my God. So much Blood Bowl. So for those of you who, have, uh, who haven't been around in the stream or who don't um, hang out uh, in that aspect of what we do, a friend of ours came into the Discord, I don't know, what, week and a half ago and said, I don't want to alarm anybody, but Blood Bowl 2 is $7 and we could start a league. And I was like, I already fucking own this game. Let's do it. And so we all bought Blood Bowl 2 and now we have a league in the Discord and it has been tons of fun. And so my fiance will walk by and she'll be like, are you, are you playing that football game again? And I'm like, it's not football. Football is stupid. I wouldn't play football. Uh, this is Blood Bowl. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but we're this is like chess, but for smart people. <laughs> it's just a board game that happens to have a ball yeah. on it. Um, don't destroy <laughs> I had her my sport. <laughs> I had her explain something about real life football to me because, like, I'm sure lots of you who listen like football, but I, I just detest the whole thing. Sorry. Uh, but anyway, so she's explaining a rule to me about football and I lit- this is a literal sentence I said to her. I went, that is absolutely the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Now I'm going to watch this dwarf trip this way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's what we've been up to. Okay, so, um, well, shall we start the episode? Let us begin the episode. What do you guys well, think? actually, before we before we begin, I have a couple of little disclaimers. All right, so this is this is um the first thing I want to say before we even do this episode is that I could not have done this episode without our friend Carrie. Okay, so um, some of you know Carrie in our Discord. Uh, she goes by Green Inkflops, and uh, Carrie specifically helped me to write this episode. And uh, she sent me a whole bunch of sources and a timeline that had to do with this because this was something that she wanted me to do. Um, for a long time. So first off, before we even start the episode, Carrie, thank you so much. Uh, she sent me a lot of places to get started. When I had questions, I would ask her. And if she didn't know, she would go and look it up for me. Um, so I just wanted to just thank her for that. Thank you, Carrie. So, 
Okay, also, this was a lot of information to keep track of. I am certain that I have made mistakes somewhere in here. So just put that, you know, put that out there. And some of these details are a little murky. And I'll try to note that where I can. Also, another thing I want to note is that we're going to be talking about a specific person in this episode. And almost every time that that person gave an interview, it was through a translator. So there may be like translation errors when I'm like quoting this person verbatim. Um, but I just wanted to put that out there. But with those disclaimers in mind, our story begins in 1966. Yasuhiro Wada was born in Kyushu, which is one of the five islands of Japan. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it contains about 10% of Japan's population. Lots of agricultural production there, and most of their biggest exports are uh, agriculture. And so, um, have you ever been to Japan, Docs? I've never been to Japan, um, and okay. I don't know the names of the islands, but now I know one. You know Kyushu. One starts um, with an H, I think. <laughs> oh, don't do this to me. <laughs> or, I don't remember one the other ones. Uh, Maybe? I don't, I, I don't know. Probably. <laughs> let's, not, let's not get into this. this is so before, before we do this, this is a really bad time to note that my fiance lived in Japan for six months <laughs> and would absolutely die if she knew that I could not tell you any of the other islands of Japan. Um, it would be a shame. So it's really funny. <laughs> it would really be a shame. Good thing she stopped listening to the podcast a while ago. <laughs> Her desire to be nice to me and placate. Okay, we're in, we're in Kyushu. It's an it's an agriculture <laughs> island, and there's this dude. He was born. What's his name again? Yasuhira Wada. I will refer to him as Wada, Wada. throughout okay. all of this. Yeah. Yep. Um, okay, so it's apparently a very beautiful place to live in and visit. I I've been to Japan, but I haven't been I haven't been to Kyushu. Um, and while it does have cities in it. It's a lot of countryside, agriculture production, that kind of stuff. This is important to the story. So from what I could tell, Wada grew up in this area of Japan. He said he was born there and he talked about growing up around there. I don't know where specifically, just that he was born there. And he claimed that he always dreamed of leaving his life in the countryside to go to the big city and make something of himself, which like pretty common dream, right? I want to get out there and make something of myself. So... It was kind of hard to find out things about his life. Um, the gist I get is just that he's a very private person. He doesn't talk about his outside life much. So the only context that I was given about him was like just through interviews from when he was talking about his games. Um, it could also be that there are tons of articles out there about his life and they're all in Japanese. So who knows? So if you find any articles in this episode, please send them to us because we will probably be very interested in them. Yeah, yeah, I would love to. I would love to hear about that. You can send, um, you could send me stuff like that on uh, my email, uh, which is just vegantylerttv at gmail.com. Yeah, you can also That's use it. that to send hate mail to Tyler after the inaccuracy of this episode that you will prove. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I was listening to the episode, and I was really upset that you said that you like this person, Peter Molyneux, <laughs> because he's actually the worst. And you should never um, do an episode again. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so what we do know about Wada's life is at some point he decides to move to Tokyo. And he immediately starts noticing how different big city living is compared to the countryside. So he says, end quote, 
Life in Tokyo was stimulating and meaningful, but it made me realize the values and nice parts of the countryside, my hometown. In the city, things could be very, very exciting and very, very boring at the same time. I wasn't homesick and I wasn't comparing the two, nor did I want to go back. This somewhat uncomfortable feeling was just making me realize that I was only seeing things from one side of the story up until that point. And at that moment, I thought, I wonder if there is a way to communicate this feeling that I am feeling right now to others. I am sure that there are others that feel the same way. So that's kind of a big culture shock, right? So you're living in the countryside. You move to this big, bustling metropolitan area. I've been to Tokyo. It's nuts. It's like one of the biggest cities in the world. Um, and so I think that I can understand his, his trepidations there. Okay, <clears throat> so it was this experience that gave him an idea for a video game. What if he made a game that wasn't focused around combat or violence or shooting people in the face. And instead he made a game about just living in the country, just the simple stuff of living in the country. He he realized that there were some nice things about living out there that he could appreciate. So he starts thinking about this game, but he doesn't do anything with it yet. So he starts romanticizing country life. And, and, and because of that, I already know where this is going. I already know which Where's game this going? is going to be, but I'm not going to tell you. You can, you're going to keep going. And I have two games in my head this could be, but I'm not going to say them. Okay. He ends up, <clears throat> he's in the big city of Tokyo. So what we do know is that he ends up getting a job at a company called Pack-In Video. Mm-hmm. Um, and I talked to Carrie a little bit about this and information on Pack-In Video was kind of hard to find. And we'll talk about why that is in a moment. But what we do know is that the company was created in Japan in 1970. Um, The gist that I got was that they started off being a video distribution company, right? Like, you know, video media. Yeah. And then eventually expanded into making games sometime in the mid 80s. So so did they make them or did they just publish them? A little bit of both. Okay. A little bit of both. So they they did mostly publishing, but they had their own in-house... development as well Mm -hmm. so they published a lot of games like a lot of games and so by my count they published and distributed close to 90 games during their time as a company most of them being targeted toward the japanese gaming market do you know which platform they were um, publishing for like did they had any specific or did they just go all over the place it was all over the place um they did publish a lot of stuff for nintendo Mm -hmm. um and, but there, I mean, there were plenty of other systems pre preluding that. Yes. So, okay. So anyway, there, there isn't anything official about when he started there, but, but by my guess from what he said in, in his interviews, he starts working there roughly around 1991. Mm-hmm. And by my best guess, he's around 25 at this point, which there's your magic number. We always talk about, right? The magic video game number. <laughs> So I guess it when you it's when you get old enough to be kind of self-sufficient and you get you 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 have the the standing and the experience to kind of start your own thing and because your brain still works because you haven't <laughs> poisoned it away with alcohol and nicotine you can you can, you can still pull something off that's kind of okay. I also think it's because that's the time in your life where you like at least when I think back like I had some of the most freedom 
right? No. Like you have the most time. You're just kind of getting started with your career, you know. And it, of course, it's different for everybody. But for some reason, 25 is the magic video game number. It is. So, okay, so he works at at the company for a while, and I couldn't find out a lot about what he did in the beginning. But from what I can tell, it was mostly just development work, you know, like random development work for the company. And he tried to pitch this idea of this farming game, but they were just not into it. So he works there for a while. When do you start nice shooting thing? pigs? Uh, no. <laughs> yeah. I don't even want you to show up to this office unless that game has you literally shooting pigs in the face in it. That is what I will publish. Okay, so you farm these pigs? Can you kill them afterward? Yeah. Can I see their guts on the ground? Pig Slaughter Simulator. Pig Slaughter Simulator, 1992. <laughs> Highly realistic pig death. <laughs> you can Coming to a store near turn you. Turn it into a franchise. A Get a new version every <laughs> year. It's, it's the same with, with, with slightly better graphics. <laughs> pig Slaughter 7, make them squeal edition. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right, so... in. <laughs> In 1995, he was credited with being a producer on a game called Magical Poppin. <laughs> okay. Magical Poppin? Like pop, poppin? Pop. Magical P O P apostrophe N. Oh, pop. Poppin. <laughs> <laughs> the game was developed by <laughs> Magical Poppin. The game was developed by a company called Polestar okay. and was published by Packin Video. Okay, okay. So Packin Video is mostly doing publishing. Yeah. The game revolves around a character named Princess who is chasing after a demonic character. It is a 2D side-scroller kind of thing that was like similar to what we might call a Metroidvania these days. But if we're going to call it a Metroidvania, I'd call it closer to a Metroid kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but it was it was a Super Nintendo exclusive, okay. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I know some people who have like looked into it, or like it it weirdly got big on the speedrunning scene, even though it was never released in the U.S. This is like in the modern day, right? Maybe it has some sweet but, mechanics about going faster. I don't know. Yeah, but <clears throat> it got middle of the road reviews. Uh, Famitsu, the biggest Japanese gaming magazine, gave it a twenty three out of forty. And the reason is, is that it was, a, it was a pretty difficult game. It didn't have the ability to save. And it was just generally pretty hard to get around and do things. But it did look nice. The animations were great. Um, it had voice acting, which uh, was kind of like rare for that time. Apparently, there was some famous um, Japanese adult film uh, person who worked in it. And it was like her de debut, like her voice acting debut was this game. That's awesome. Right. Uh, it, but it's just mildly received. Um, so, yeah, again, um, it got really big with the speedrunning stuff. Uh, it sometimes shows up at speedrunning events. But for some reason, this game has become extremely rare to find in physical form. And so I did a little bit of digging and unopened copies in perfect condition sell for 200,000 yen, which is about 20,000 US dollars. Roughly, roughly in that regard. What? Nice. Magical poppin. Imagine you invested in, like, you bought, like, ten of those, <laughs> and, you, and you find them, but you don't know what they are, so you kind of throw them away, and there goes. Ah, uh, yeah. One hundred thousand I'll just dollars. give it to the... <laughs> <laughs> I'll just give it to the, uh, you know, 
goodwill or something. Yeah. All right. So while he's working on this game, and I don't know the exact timeline here, he manages to like build enough cloud at the company that he convinces the higher ups to let him work on his farming game. And so the he idea just, he just comes head, in for the twentieth time. <laughs> I got this farming simulation. Just, just, just get in that empty office and stop bothering me about it. Okay. You can have the time. Water. Just water. If I see your face one more time talking about the farming simulator, I'm gonna snip your neck. Yeah, and then he got his. There book. better be the ability to slaughter animals in it, Wada. Yes. I want to see their disgusting viscera puddling on the ground. Yeah. So, okay, so the idea that he has in his head, all right, is that you could control both macro level things. How is your farm developing, etc., and micro level things like taking care of individual animals, watering crops, etc. So he calls the game Bokujo Monogatari, which could be loosely translated to farm story. Yeah, can I? Is is it going to be Harvest Moon? Just asking. It is absolutely hard. Okay, good. Just want to make that clear. I, I thought of it from the first second. When just thought, but as soon as you said that this guy grew up on an agriculture island, I was like, okay, it's Harvest Moon. Yeah, it's Harvest Moon. <laughs> so, okay. So, yeah. Boku, Bokujo Monogatari, and that translates to farm story. We'll get to how we got to Harvest Moon in a moment. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> on the Super Famicom, or the SNES, as we know it. So, he gets his team together. And they're kind of like, okay, what is actually appealing about this game? Why does anyone want to play a game that is just literal work? And so the thought was, you would do the work in the game, but then you get a feeling of reward from seeing your work be finished and that your effort went to something. So like, you've revitalized your farm, you've made the town better, you made all this money, whatever it might be. It's so amazing that back then all those game developers were so naive about what could be considered a game that <laughs> something <laughs> as predatory as an addicting farm simulator where you do nothing but actual work, they'd be like, this is nonsense, this doesn't seem like fun. And today, most of the games just revolve around addicting you to repetitive processes that are nothing but work. Uh, I think <laughs> to go with that, you and I have played a lot of Deep Rock Galactic, and my favorite line in that entire game is that the the dwarf basically like breaks the fourth wall and he goes, I can't believe they made me care about mining rocks. <laughs> exactly. That's it. And it's so fucking yeah. fun. It's so fun. I can't believe they made me care about farming. <laughs> yeah. Right. I can't believe they made me care about watering crops. <laughs> so, okay. So, but then apparently right? at the time, they're, they're, what's that? But they don't see the appeal yet. Right. They do not see the appeal. They're like, why would anyone want to play this game? Mm -hmm. And so <clears throat> apparently there was a popular game in Japan called Derby Stallion, where you would breed horses and then race them, which is work. But then you get to see the payoff when, you're, when your oh, horse yeah. gets these racing results. And so they kind of modeled Harvest Moon on that kind of idea that you're doing this work, but later you get to see like what occurred. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... They had several ideas that didn't translate well at first. So uh, originally the game was just about managing a herd of cows and occasionally you would talk to people in the town, but it was really boring. 
So they ended up, right? This is literally the game. All right, I'm going to go take care of my cows, right? Hey, it's Bob from the cow farm again. What up? Uh, yeah, just taking care of my cows. Cool, Bob. Do you need anything? Nope, there's no mechanic for that. Gonna leave now. <laughs> I got I got everything I need in my cows. <laughs> I don't even need to talk to people in the town. They're all the companionship I need. <laughs> so, apparently in the early versions of the game, even the people were really boring to talk to. Mm-hmm. And so Wada realizes at this point that the reason that people liked combat games is because they had a challenge to them, right? That the combat was a way to show like this challenge that you had to get through. And so Harvest Moon, at least its first iterations, was not challenging. It was just kind of like you were going through the motions and there wasn't really anything for it. So they start adding things that would make the game more interesting. Now you could clear out land to plant crops. You could see the satisfaction of watching things grow. And at the end of the game, you could get married to someone in the town. And that was sort of the apex of the social aspect of the game. Yes, marriage, the end of life. Oh, oh boy, are we going to get into that later? (laughs) (coughs) That will come up. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So stylistically, he didn't want to throw a bunch of statistics at players in a game that was about simple farming life. So he decided he was going to create all of these very simple visual cues um, that gradually got introduced as the game progressed, right? So there wasn't like a bar, right? It'd be like you hit the ground and you could see the ground change. You hit the ground again, you could see the ground change. And it wasn't like status bars, right? He wanted to keep it all very simple. Yeah, like concepts that will be used in many more games involving landscape change is um, Mm -hmm. how important visual cues are for interaction with the surrounding. I completely agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So right around the middle of development, the company hits some financial issues and they had to scale back a lot of Wada's ideas. And he almost gave up on the game entirely, but two of his colleagues, quote, game planner uh, Maya Koshi and programmer Yama, Yamatate, God, my Japanese is terrible, convinced him to keep going. I pulled that out of an article. They spent six months going hard uh, to develop the game and optimizing it as best as they could on a limited budget. And eventually, they got the game out. Okay, so a quick summary of the finalized story. You are a boy who inherits a dilapidated farm from your grandfather. Your job is to restore the farm. You upgrade things, you plant crops, you sell them, you meet people in the town, you can build your relationships with them by doing certain things, you go to fun events that are occurring in the town, and what was really cool about this game was, is that you kind of had to figure out what to devote your time to each day, and if you spent too long on one thing, you could miss other aspects of the game. Yeah, I'd always and, uh, I'd always spend all my day... Um, sitting in the bathtub in the mines <laughs> chilling because fuck farming yeah, yeah fuck farming <laughs> I want to sit in my own sentence yes. <laughs> so uh, there's an achievement in one of the newer games where you spend the entire day in the own sun yeah. and just prune up L- so. living the life what else do you want <laughs> yeah right <laughs> but uh, as was you know the time um, the Super Nintendo it's a top down view with 2D graphics yeah 
Okay, so Farm Story hits in August 1996 in Japan as one of the last major releases for the Super Nintendo. And it didn't really sell well at first. Uh, Initial figures were around 20,000 units sold, but eventually it started gaining traction and popularity, mostly due to popular reviews and word of mouth. People would play it and go, this is a really fun game, and they would tell other people about it. So I don't have a ton on sales, which is sort of a theme that you'll see as we go through all of this. Um, They they don't talk a lot about how well things sold, but from what I could tell, um, it was acceptable for what they wanted at the time. And it made them like an okay amount of money based on what they wanted as a good. And probably since also the company didn't expect the game to be successful at all because you weren't shooting pigs in the face. Maybe that they sold anything at all was an incentive to, stick to it yeah yeah it could be so they end up localizing it to the united states and to european audiences under the name harvest harvest moon, moon. i played harvest moon. shall i tell my harvest moon story i love the game it's one yes. of my favorite games that i played as a child mm-hmm. i had a friend who had a game boy he was so cool because he had a game boy and he had mm. this game that he found was super boring because it was about farming and i was like hey if you think that's super boring you can give it to me because my brother also had a game boy but i wasn't allowed Ooh. to play with my brother's games because he was afraid i delete his pokemon save slots so Fair. i got my own game <laughs> from my friend stole the game boy of my brother put harvest moon in and played that harvest moon thing that i was like oh, yeah, this, this has to work and the thing about harvest moon is it doesn't really explain to you how to play the game <laughs> you just have to no. go and i was like okay this dude on this farm and i got tools uh what now <laughs> <laughs> And and it's true. And it, but it was really fun to just figure out what you could do, like that you could buy like seeds from the town, and you could like make little farms, and there was different things, and there was like obstacles, and you just like I can't destroy this stone for some reason, but later on you unlock stuff, and that's pretty cool. But yeah, there was a progression. To they it. took it away from me again because my friend was like, all of a sudden he liked the game again and he wanted his game back. And that's when, <laughs> and I, I, I was a small kid then. I was like five years or six years old. And he, he took it away from me. And I, because I was so small, I was unable to remember the name because I couldn't speak English yet, but it was named, called an English name. And one day I found it again. And that was a good day when I found my addictive farming game again. <laughs> and some say he's still he's still farming to this day playing, playing harvest moon right now you just don't know it <laughs> never stopped ever since you, you, you're such a good multitasker i would not be surprised right. so uh so yeah so they localized it to the u.s and european audiences under the name harvest moon yes and it dropped in the u.s um in june 2017 and january 2018 in europe And I think in Europe, they just let a branch of Nintendo publish the game. But in the U.S., they decided to license the game and publish through a company called Natsume. And the reason I'm telling you about Natsume specifically is because they are going to come up again many times throughout this story. So, a small bit about Natsume. They were founded in 1987 and started publishing games in that sort of earlier era of gaming. And they mostly published products for other companies, but occasionally they did develop games on their own. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I wasn't able to find much on why they decided to go with Natsume, but my guess is that from some other developments and some interviews, it seems like um, maybe they didn't have a reliable U.S. branch to work with, and Natsume had been around for a little bit, and so they were like, okay, this company has, you know, a little bit of publishing clout, and they seem like they know the American audience for what we're looking for, so, like, we'll go with them. So. And Natsume also has Japanese roots, right? I believe so. I can't tell you what it means, but... Yeah, no, 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 but also the, the, the company has Japanese roots, even though they were operating in the U.S. I don't know, actually, uh, how that company was made. Okay, doesn't um, matter. I just you would have just said... thought because no, that's okay. maybe, maybe that would have also given them an incentive to work with them because of um, maintaining national interest in in some way like work with some of your your i don't know lands people like as sure as an as a german entrepreneur would 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 prefer to work with another german because they knew like there wouldn't be language misunderstandings well that's exactly what i what I, what i was going to say here is think about this i i think it's easy to assume that they had some kind of japanese roots i should have probably looked this up but um they Imagine that your whole purpose is that you want to take a game from Japan and translate it to U.S. audiences. You would want a company that can do that adequately, right? Yes. And so a company that understands the language... But also, un makes but sense. also understands you. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, okay. So from what I read in some interviews, a lot of the comments during localization were negative. So they were kind of like, why does anybody in the U.S. want to play a farming game? And the president of Natsume said in an interview later, like years later, that people just like thought that there wouldn't be a market for a game like that. And that like all these people told him that he should just forget about that game and not do it. And he pushed forward and sold it hard. But they had to make a couple of changes. Um, so there's like a couple of localization changes. Um, one big one that always made me laugh is that they decided to change all the alcohol in the games to juice. But people would still get shit-faced when they would slam it. Yeah. So they'd be like, hey, man, you want to try some of my famous juice? And then everybody would be all fucked up. <laughs> so I should note that timeline-wise, and I someday I'd like to do an episode on like video game censorship in the United States. Yeah. Um, this was a time during the U.S. in the mid-90s when this there was a really big push to censor video games. And so it's not surprising to me that they decided to make like a small change like that to be like, you know, what are kids going to care, right? This will help us to get under the radar of these people who are saying like, oh, look, video games are telling our kids to drink or whatever. So, yeah. but anyway, I, I like that though. I'm fucked up on juice, bro. Have another <laughs> shot of juice. I always wondered about that, but it makes total sense that of course it's something like that. Yeah. So um, looking back, someone in 2012 asked him, uh, Wada, why he thought that making a farm simulator would ever be a good idea, to which he responded, quote, because I didn't want to copy anybody else. I wanted to create something that nobody had ever done. Yes, that's a very good point. And that's what, like, um, if you um, think back to the Kim Swift episode, um, where their idea was just, we have to make something that wasn't done before, not just mm -hmm. to... But they had different intentions. They wanted to get successful and make money. Um, maybe Wada mm -hmm. just wanted to make something that's that's original for originality's sake. 
Well, this is something that we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, you know, Wada, I, I don't think he ever says the words, but it's very clear that he considers himself to be an artist and that video games are his medium, yes. right? Like his medium through which he makes art. And we'll talk about that near the end. It also makes um, sense because he was ex- he, he was trying to express a feeling from the start. Yes. I want to express that I fucking hate city life. <laughs> I don't want to live on the farm. <laughs> But simultaneously, he fucking hated farm life and wanted to live in the city, right? The duality. Oh, no. How do you express that duality? Yeah. So. Okay. Um, so Harvest Moon ends up being pretty popular for that era. And so they want, the company wants Wada to do a follow-up. But he's kind of against it. He's like, I don't know that I want to do another one of these games. I kind of did what I set out to do. But the company wanted more. And he's like, well, you know, they stood behind my original idea. So I kind of feel like I owe them, right? So like, at least that's the impact. Any other game developer we, 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 we knew when they were offered a sequel, they were like, yeah, nice, more money. I'm in. And he's like, oh, no, no. <laughs> this is not my, I think I have fulfilled my artistic uh, uh, <laughs> possibilities. I cannot further improve on what I have created. But that water. for honor, I owe it to you. I have to fulfill my duty to the company. Father company, give me more duty. (laughs) (laughs) That water, he's always so mysterious. We try to hand him the ability to print money and he won't take it because of something he calls integrity. (laughs) Integrity. I don't know what it means. None of us do. What what is this word? When do I get my paycheck? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so shortly after the game is released, Pac-In Video merges with a company called Victor Entertainment Incorporated, and they establish a new company, Victor Interactive Software Incorporated. Mm -hmm. So remember when I told you it was hard to find stuff on Pac-In Video? It's because right after this, they merged with another company and worked on it. So, mm -hmm. okay. So now he's working for Victor Interactive. So you'll get sick of the mergers by the end of this episode. Okay. Okay, <clears throat> so uh, I won't spend a ton of time on this because you already talked about it and there's not a ton on it, but they decide, okay, well, what do we do next? Let's make a Game Boy version of Harvest Moon. That's the one you played. And so there were a few minor improvements. One of note to me was that they gave you the ability to choose between being a boy or a girl, which you couldn't do in the first game. But what's really weird about this is that they gave you this ability in the Game Boy game But in later versions of the game, like later Harvest Moon games, they took out the ability to choose your your gender. And we'll talk about the weird stuff that comes up with that as we go. So when I was talking to Carrie about this, we couldn't believe that they let you do this this early, but then took it out later. So you'll see. Yeah. So um, there's very little that is publicly, like very little publicly available info on this game for some reason, like how it did and like how it was received, but I guess it did okay. At least that's what I could glean from interviews because when they talked about it later, it seemed like a success, even though reviewers were mixed on it. Yep. Um, they felt like it was too light. It had removed too much from the Super Nintendo version. Um, apparently they put out a Game Boy Color version of it the next year that was more well-received. Uh, remember when Game Boys didn't have color? I do. Yeah, I had that old gray Game Boy with no color on it. Yeah, I remember playing my cousin's Game Boy and he had, uh, like, it was like Super Mario 3 or something on the Game Boy. And um, 
I remember thinking it was cool, but that uh, I had a Game Gear from Sega, like we talked about in the first episode, and I was just like, this is vastly superior. Why would I ever want to play a Game Boy? This has an actual little TV on it, right? Yeah, I once so. looked up how expensive a Game Boy like that is now. Uh, that just a small fun fact, and mm-hmm. there you can you can they improve in in value just as fast as inflation. So they are a solid investment. Really? Yes. Well, that's really fascinating. Um, anyway, so Harvest Moon Game Boy hits in 1998, and they keep making games. And so um, for the next game, they decide that they want to create a sequel to Harvest Moon uh, for the N64, okay, the Nintendo 64. So WADA is still the producer here, and they end up upgrading the graphics to 3D, though they kept the top-down view. And from what WADA says, this game had a lot of the things that had been eliminated from the initial release due to those um, initial like financial and time constraints that he ran into. Um, reviewers who played it said that the game felt like the Super Nintendo version, which was like a good thing, right? Like it, it has the feel of the old game. And, you know, same basic story. You inherit a farm from your dead grandpa. You got to build it back up. You got to talk to people in the town, et cetera, et cetera. Like the concept, right? You can't really improve on the concept. You can just add more stuff or more plants or more animals or make the map bigger, but it's always the same. Maybe you can uh, add fishing or something. That is the story of this episode, (laughs) as you'll see. It's like, let's put out another Harvest Moon game. But this time, you can go down into a mine. This time, there are fairies. This time, it's on islands. It's all the same iteration of the same concept. Um, So anyway, this is 1999 that this gets put out. Um, In retrospect, the game had some pretty bad graphical issues and glitches, Um, The soundtrack was really repetitive for something on the N64, or at least that's what the reviewers thought. Um, The best way that I can describe this game to you is it's just kind of like upgraded Harvest Moon. It's like just better in a lot of ways, like like Harvest Moon Plus. So, um, but what's really fascinating to me is that even some of the reviewers, even then, because I went and looked up some of these old reviews, they were still trying to explain to people why they needed to play this game as if like, well, we know you're not going to like farming, but try this out for sure. It'll be awesome. So I read one called, and this was the title of the review quote, harvest moon 64. There's no flashiness here, but if you can keep an open mind, you'll be addicted to this game. Nice. Just like if you start taking addictive drugs long enough, (laughs) I, I think that you might get addicted. Just saying. <laughs> if you keep an open mind to letting yourself become addicted, you will. <laughs> the thing that makes Harvest Moon addicting, and I think it's very clear because there's still iterations of it coming out and still clones, and that is mm-hmm. because you you have to do you always do the same thing. You do it, it's a it's a repetitive motion, and if you stop doing it, you you will. First, you will feel that you forget it the next time, so you have to you'd have to take care. Of, I'll take care of that plan before I turn off the Game Boy. Also, I'll take care of that one cow before I turn off the Game Boy. <laughs> oh, I forgot that I also have to do that. Oh, the new day has started because I can have I gotta do everything again, and so you just never stop playing because you, there's always mm-hmm. another day and there's always another plan. There's always something to do. Yeah. Yep. 
but it's it's i just i find it fascinating that people couldn't get into that right like it was so weird for people to be playing this game that was just about life stuff yep you know like and i think that i think about the games that were coming out during that era right like they're very much like here's this fantasy world that you can go into and do this stuff in and so to be like i'm gonna be a farmer and i'm gonna marry susan and i'm gonna have some cows just like i can understand why people in the 90s would be like i don't want to play a game like that yeah so video games always had to have some sort of surreality to it that they they, yeah it it must it it would have it, it must be clear that this is not the real thing or second thing it could be was it sports sport games are fine mm. yep sports games get a pass yeah. blood bowl, <laughs> blood bowl. <laughs> sorry dude you kicked my ass with your lizard man yesterday <laughs> you just mangled me Blap. <laughs> it's a uh, real side note about that is this is this how like normal men of our age talk about sports hey you see the game yesterday mm. Real shame what happened to Evasive Jay's Goblins. Yeah. Oh, he's four, he's four down. That defense was just crazy. Yeah, coach must have up their game, right? Yeah, I just need to throw that coach out. I mean, couldn't even move the ball. Couldn't pass for shit. What are the players like? Oh, my God. Yeah, if they, if they gave me control over this for one day, I'd, I'd wash these guys' heads so hard you can't imagine. You just wait till trading. Once they could start trading players, I think that Ratley Snivelson is he's going to be top of the tier list that people are going to want to buy him. A bidding war is going to start. Oh, it's going to be crazy. I'm going to talk about Harvest Moon again. <laughs> Dude, my, apparently my disdain for sports is coming out in this one. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. All right. So before we move on, okay, to the timeline of the games, I think it's really important to note to touch like to to touch on something we've already kind of talked about, and that is that the core concepts of this game get reused and recycled over and over and over again. So like characters will sh- like the same characters will show up in different games. Uh, sometimes assets will get remade. Sometimes they just get blatantly reused. And so like um, while not directly. This game is uh, the one that's remade the most, right? Like the concepts from this game are the one that get remade the most, but it's always got some new twist on it. And so I have no other way to say this, but like Harvest Moon, all the Harvest Moons are kind of basically the same game in their own way, right? Like some of the later games are even just straight up direct remakes. Some of them just add a new twist, but they all sort of iterate on that core concept. Um, One thing that Wada talks about, like... This and all future Harvest Moon games always include some kind of family drama. So it's like your parents are missing, your parents are dead, you're trying to reconnect to your fam, you know, your family. You're trying to reconnect to your family through your work. Um, and Wada has spoken about why he does this in his interviews, and he says basically, if there wasn't any drama, what is the game? Right? Like the game could be a little bit boring if there wasn't something going on, and. He also said that he likes the idea that some of the games are about coping with loss and, and, and being able to reconnect with this person who has died and sort of learn about them as you do what they did and play the games. And so like in doing so, you not only learn how to like move on and like carry out their legacy, but also to find happiness, right? Yeah. Like in, in moving on. That's something I found out much later about the game. It's just like, like if you read a book several times in your life and it, and it's a different right. book every time and 
it, it was the same for me for games that are like Harvest Moon because I like Stardew Valley. I played, but mm-hmm. the but there was still the dead relative that died, and you always inherit the farm. And later on, that came to me that this is not about farming completely. This is um, this is also a game about coping with that. It is, and I um, like that. So I have a quote. <clears throat> I have a quote here from him uh, that's relevant. Quote: You have a lot of joy and a lot of sadness in your lifetime. Different types of joy and sadness. Not everything is sad, and not everything is joy. It's just what is in front of you. In an RPG or another game, everything is always just straight up. In Harvest Moon, you actually go through the different stages, and you want the user to go through those. Sadness, happiness, and everything. Yeah. Okay, so back to the timeline. 2000 hits. Harvest Moon Back to Nature for the PlayStation is next on our list. So apparently developing games to be published on multiple consoles at the same time can be difficult. And I think in the modern day, that's probably why you see games getting like taking longer to get out or being released later on different consoles, because they're all sort of their own thing. Right. Yeah. Though I think it's a little easier today than it used to be. Yeah, But they still have to be adjusted to different hardware, um, which they takes um, developing time. Um, like there will be one developer in the team that will just take care of that and they will their yep. mind will go go get molten by it's the, true it'll turn to the sludge. problems that appear from porting to different hardware yeah so you know uh people can't always afford to buy multiple consoles though it, it, and consoles can be expensive even today they were expensive back then too yeah. And so they had a lot of people who wanted to play Harvest Moon, but they owned a PlayStation. They didn't own an N64. Like me. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, because you're an adult now, and you could do whatever you want. Yes, Mom. Take that for buying me a PlayStation. <laughs> <laughs> Mom, I wanted both consoles, not just a PlayStation. <laughs> so Wada asks his team who made the Game Boy version to make a PlayStation version. And it's not a direct port, right? But it's, it's, it's a remake on the PlayStation hardware of the N64 version. So if you hadn't noticed something yet, WADA has moved on to a supervisory role on these games. And I'm not sure exactly when he takes over like this managerial sort of position, but I'm pointing it out because it is relevant later. So he doesn't, does he, so he doesn't develop anymore. Not like he did. Okay. So, and here's an exact story about that. So development is going smoothly and Wada comes to them and says, hey, how's that port of that game going, right? Like, how's that PlayStation remake going? And what he finds is that all of the characters in the dialogue are different. And so he had approved these ideas. Like, you know, they said, can we change this? Can we change that? But he had not approved them to the extent that had been done. Like they had basically completely remade the game. And so he's not thrilled, but he gets his team together and he's like, how far along are you on this game? And they were essentially close to done. It was too late to go back. So in his mind, the PlayStation version is like a parallel harvest moon, like a parallel world to his vision. So, but it releases on the PlayStation and it, is a hit. The PlayStation is going strong. They capture this whole new audience. 
and um they're loving it it's it's a game that's not like his baby and it's better than his baby (laughs) (laughs) well it could be it could be that but it could also just be that they captured this new audience that they didn't have before because remember the playstation was kicking off at this time yeah okay but interesting trend that they note in both sales and people who play the game the players who were playing the game were about a 50-50 split between men and women. And I guess so, at that time, gaming already was a domain of the male demography. Essentially, yeah. Uh, I mean, of course, there were always women who were playing yes, games, but, you know. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm talking out my ass here, right? So there's no, there's, there's no stats I'm, I'm quoting here, but, you know, the gist I got is that gaming was predominantly considered to be you know a male dominated thing which is why they were surprised that the the the, for this game it was 50 50 right because they hadn't designed the game specifically to be like let's appeal to a female audience but there was gender diversity in how you know who bought it and who played it and wada described it as quote an interesting but pleasant surprise yes it is so knowing this (laughs) Knowing this, he decides to make a spinoff that he called Bokujo Monogatari, Mm. Harvest Moon for Girl. Needlessly gendered, I guess. (laughs) Oh, you've seen nothing yet. What will this Bring it on. Give me what this is. So it was released on the PlayStation in 2000 in Japan only. They only released it in the US later. But this one was specifically, it was basically the same game. You were just a girl. So if you wanted to play as a girl, you had to buy a whole separate game. Uh Uh-huh. So functionally, same game in many different ways, just from a different perspective. Now, I will say it got good reviews, but he got a lot of flack from his fans because the happy ending of the game is when you get married. You get married and the game ends. And that didn't sit well with people. They were like, the fuck, man? What about the rest of your life? Do you just die when you get married? Like, life isn't just about getting married. What if I don't want to get married, right? So, anyway, he took that into account, which is, like, something that they worked in in later games, that they yeah. were like, well, maybe there should be more to life. Okay, so Harvest Moon is a hit at this point, and I'm just going to rapid-fire out a couple of quick games here. So, 2000 hits. Harvest Moon 2 comes out on the Game Boy Color. The game was bigger. It added in things like cataloging wildlife and bugs. It ends up dropping the ability to date people, which pissed people off. Um, 2001 Harvest Moon, Harvest Moon 3 comes out for the Game Boy Color. This game, again, missing that marriage system because they're trying to emphasize replay value. But again, it gets booed by their hardcore fans. Um, Wada talked briefly in an interview about how like hard it is to make everybody happy, given all the limitations of what they were doing. Mixed reviews on this one. Um, 2001 sees the release of Harvest Moon Save the Homeland for PlayStation Save 2. Save the Homeland. Sounds, Save the Homeland. Sounds like you're part of some Japanese militia trying to get those <laughs> disgusting traders and mercantile beasts out of your farm tiles. <laughs> there was a war about this and we lost it, but we are going to take our country back. Do you know what it's about? You're trying to stop your farming village from being replaced by a resort. So yeah, you're not far off, dude. These disgusting foreigners trying to build hotels on my farmland. 
I can't do a southern They're going to destroy my that. rustic life if they bring in that resort, and there'll be tourists. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, it had a bunch of different endings, which was something that was new for Harvest Moon. Uh, and you, depending on what you did, who you talked to, like you could stop the resort, you could change the ending in a bunch of different ways. Hmm. Okay, so where is Wada on all of this? So he's still supervising the games, giving his input, giving like creating concepts and such. But he was also like supervising some other weird games that I wanted to note. So in 2002, he's working on a PS2 game called Chulip, I believe it's Chulip, called. Huh? C-H-U-L-I-P, Chulip. It is a super bizarre dreamlike game about kissing people in a town to improve your reputation with them and try and find your true love. What's the... So you have a dream at the start of the game that you're meeting your true love and then the game begins and you walk around town literally kissing people to improve your relationship with them. Uh... <laughs> hey, Bob, it's good to see you again. Let me uh, let me just kiss you right there on the lips. Ooh, a little bit of tongue today, Bob. I really appreciate that one. Kissable. Bob, you, uh, you 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 ain't brushed your teeth since lunch, huh? I can I can taste some garlic. Give me another taste of that, please. <laughs> yeah, let me. <laughs> can I have another taste, Bob? Let me go in for round two. Let me improve our reputation. Okay, that's a creepy a game. Uh, don't even have to play it. <laughs> ten out of ten. It was a real trip. It did not release out of Japan until a few years later. And if I remember correctly, it released as a GameStop exclusive. Yeah. Like just GameStop had it. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. They, if any of you, I'm going to get a fucking email that's going to be like, how dare you besmirch the name of Chulip? <laughs> Chulip. This is my favorite game. And when my mother died on her deathbed, she said, you never let anyone talk shit on that kissing game, my son. And she kissed me and then she died. And then she kissed me. (laughs) Our relationship was improved. Uh, yeah, if you want to if you want to send us hate messages, it's www.twitch.tv slash vegan Thailand. Yeah. Yeah, please. Please. Thank you. That'd be so great. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's see how red I am. Okay. So he also worked on another weird PS2 game during this time called Boku Wa Chisai, which translates to I am little. Um actually Andrea and I use Chisai in our, our daily lives because I'll be like, you want a little bit of or you want some of this? And she'll go, Chisai, right? Just a little. Just a little. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a game about a tiny alien that comes to Earth on a spaceship, but is only a few inches tall. So it's like wandering around in its little spacesuit through like, a, you know, someone's desk is a level, ooh, right? Like their bedroom, because they're so little and they're like exploring like, ooh, look at this terrain, but it's like a kid's bedroom, yeah. right? Looked cute, never released in the US. Okay, so. On to more company drama, as is tradition. So while this is all going on, we're going to have a little quick detour. At this point, a company enters the story called Marvelous Entertainment. They were founded in 1997, and their business was mostly as a company that released just soundtracks to games. Okay, so they just were like, oh, you made a, you know, an OST to a game and you want to publish it. We'll produce your soundtrack and make a bunch of CDs of it. Right, cool. like that's usually oh, yeah. what they yeah. did. So, starting around 2000, <clears throat> uh, 
they started to work on doing uh, animation, and then they branch out into making games. So why do we care about Marvelous? Because in 2003, Marvelous purchases Victor Interactive, the company that WADA has been working yes. for, and brings them on as a subdivision of Marvelous Entertainment. And they called this subdivision Marvelous Interactive. Okay, so now WADA has gone from Pack and Video to Victor to Marvelous. Okay? So when Marvelous started in 2003, or Marvelous Interactive, rather, this merger happens, yep. this new branch hits in 2003, uh, they made about five or six things in that year. And then by 2007, they had 45 people on their development teams, another 45 people in promotion, sales, and development, so around 90 people for this division. And that let them publish over 30 titles that year. Wow, um, that's great. Apparently from an interview I read, they said around that time they were bringing in about 50 billion yen that year or around $50 million for that division. Um, and what's really fascinating to me is that in an interview, they still consider themselves to be small at that time. They're like, yeah, we brought in $50 million last year, but we're just still small time. Yeah. But that's amazing that um, that they that they grew into such a just a, a factory spewing out games, making yeah. Although I think it was mostly that they were taking other people's games and publishing them, ah, right? Yeah, yeah. But they were creating their own stuff as well. So most of the games that they were putting out <clears throat> were titles that were based on manga at the time, and so mostly just focused on a Japanese audience that had read them. But they had started talking about changing their focus. Um, on to, to work on more original titles okay more harvest moon games so hmm. 2005 hits or i'm sorry 2003 hits uh harvest moon friends of mineral town comes out on the game boy advance which is you can only play as a boy if you bought in 2005 if you bought harvest moon more friends of mineral town you could play as a girl so again separate games for separate genders um <laughs> I know, dude. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, this game is for girls. Ooh. Right? Like, whatever. <laughs> I get so... I, you know, I'm so glad we're moving on beyond a lot of this bullshit. I think, I so. think we're moving back into it. But um, also, I do think that there might be a good reason for that. And that is that you you don't sell games to children. You sell games to the parents of children. And parents will often think about, hey, do I want to get this game to my kid? And if it says, like, this is a game specifically for girls, Grandma Martin, she will be like, oh, this is a game about farming for girls, so little Susie might like it. Or, like, um, Grandpa Bob might think, oh, this is a farming game for man to do many things. I'm going to get this from my son. I, I approve of this. I will spend my money my hard-earned pension on this. Yeah. So I think it's a marketing thing. To market you know, I had never thought parents, of that before. Not to children. Yeah, that's true. Because children aren't really buying games, also, right? Also, this is just speculation, but this is the only thing I can think about where this would make sense to do. Yeah. Well, I was also thinking that, you know, you have a background of working with children and you saw a lot more. Parents totally of... think like that. They do. It's yeah. insane. I remember I don't you know. telling me stories about parents being like really nervous about like things that their children were doing yeah. and like whether or not that would appear as masculine or feminine or whatever. It, and, if like, my kid doesn't, know. if my kid wears a dress, it will be 
become gay is a legitimate thought that fathers have. I can't understand how that would show up in someone's mind. But it's the case. People think like that. Uh, and and well, it's 2020. Believe how, like, just imagine how it was 15 years ago. Exactly, right? Yeah. So, yeah, totally makes sense. Uh, I will say that um, these two games are seen to be very good Harvest Moon games. Mm -hmm. And they actually had a modern port that came out on Steam last year. Um, it was the first time that it had been brought to um, uh, Steam, I think. I think this was the first one. Um, we'll look here at the end. Mm -hmm. um, so modern port of this game. I tried it out. Someone actually very kindly gifted me a copy. Oh, nice. It was pretty fun. Um, I don't get as hooked on these things as some other people do because I think I am bad at Was them. it maybe about farming? You know, it was about farming. Oh, wow. Yeah. How unexpected. Nice. Yeah. 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 The, 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 the game about farming that they remade was also about Good farming. thing you typed yeah. that out. So now you know it's, it's about farming. <laughs> so now <you> know. <laughs> What could this be about? Hmm. It's called Friends of Mineral Town. Maybe there's a cave full of goblins that mine rocks. I don't know. Um, we'll see. Small side note, the creator of Stardew Valley um, once said that he actually um, created whole cities of goblins in the mines that you could visit and trade to, but he decided to not include it because it would um, like make the game lose focus. Really? Yeah. He said it in an interview, and everybody was like, please include it. He was like, no, I'm not going to do it. still have it. not going to do it. I mean, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's good to know. We'll talk about Eric Barone here as we get near the oh, end. Nice. So, okay. <clears throat> 2004 hits. Uh, Harvest Moon, A Wonderful Life for the GameCube comes out. So, with the acquisition by Marvelous, they continue cranking out games. So, what was different about uh, Harvest Moon, A Wonderful Life is that in the first chapter, instead of uh, the end of the game is that you marry someone, in the first chapter of this game you marry someone. And if you didn't, the game would end. But if you did marry someone, you had kids with them. And then the rest of the game is about having a family and watching the family grow up over the years. You literally watch your children grow up. They end up dealing with their own life struggles. Their lives change based on your choices. And the game ends when you die. Like your character dies and your children visit your grave. Do you then do you then restart as one of your grandchildren? That would be cool. Oh, as cool as that would be, no. Um, but I know that they added something later where you could like they called it like heaven mode, and you could continue playing the game even oh, yeah. after you had died. Yeah. So, Wada says that this might be his favorite Harvest Moon game because it best represented what the series was originally supposed to be about. So here's a quote: "Quote, it's closest to the very original concept I had for Harvest Moon." Um, he said, the original working title was Life Story, Jinsei Monogatari, rather than Farm Story, Boku, uh, Bokujo Monogatari. A focus of a wonderful life is leading a full and happy existence from beginning to end. So in essence, it's what I always intended Harvest Moon to be. Quote, it is impossible to pack one's life into a small package, but the most important thing was to feel as if you were there. Quote. So I really like that. Um, I got another quote here, too, um, that's relevant. The, I, I chopped up a bunch of stuff he said from different interviews. 
Quote, wanting to make it feel like you were coming back to this world and not wasting time and living it was important to me. In that regard, until this date, I consider A Wonderful Life one of the best titles. It's awesome. It's great that it feels like that. Um, because it seemed like in between, he wasn't too happy about it. Just, I mean, I only got like very slight ideas of what he might have been probably thinking. I don't even know the guy. Sure. But like he had tr um, trouble with the people that he, that were working for him, that were creating the thing that was his original baby game. And right. it's good that he um, came to the conclusion that the, the modern technology and the modern way of developing things has given him the chance to make the game that he wants even though it is yeah. like the 20th iteration of something. Side yeah. note on this, usually if artists create a great piece of art, they will not do it once, they will create it several times. Like Picasso drew pictures that are very famous like a hundred times before he would publish the one that he liked the most. I didn't know he that. Did. Yeah, in the one museum in Nice, in, in nice about Picasso, there's like always just one room that has like 20 versions of the same picture. Yeah. So it's really interesting that you mentioned that. Um, I am absolutely not going to compare myself to Picasso, but I've, I've mentioned on, um, I mentioned on the podcast before that I've been really, I've gotten back into painting miniatures and uh, <clears throat> everybody will say, well, man, that miniature you painted is really cool. How did you do that? Wow. That's really good. And then I show them all of the other iterations of that same miniature that I fucked up. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, Here's this one where I thought I'd go with this weird purple thing. Here's this one where I had brass shoulder pads that looked really bad, right? Like how many iterations do people go through until they get to that thing, that last product that we think of as perfect, yes. right? And so even looking back on like, I just did a squad of 10 guys. And even looking back to the first guy I quote finished, I see improvement on the color scheme, what I wanted, how I wanted to, you know, make it look by the time I got to the 10th guy as compared to the first. And that's not even counting all the shit I threw. Also, at, there's always you know? a dissonance between what's in your mind. What do you think? Like, like Wada had this original idea of what he wants his game to be. And then there is yeah. what he creates. And those are never mm -hmm. the same thing. Those are always different things. And I think this dissonance gets smaller and smaller the more you iterate over this picture, this image in your mind, and you get you, you gain the abilities to to create it, to to give it a place in reality. Let's I I, I want to skip ahead just a yes. little bit. This is something I was going to talk about at the end, but I think it's relevant to mention it now since you brought it up. So it's interesting to hear him talk about how he feels like the industry in general. So there was this really lengthy talk that he gave at the game developers conference, and it was done through like a translator. And he starts off talking about how, as an artist, he really likes video games as a medium. And the reason is, is that you can express yourself and express things in ways that books and movies can't. Because you can interact with them and you can change them, right? So you're putting, you're, you're putting people in this immersive experience that they can do things with. But even as that is so cool, right, like... It's a medium of art that requires a lot more work sometimes. And this is not to discount other forms of art. But a video game might not accurately reflect your vision because you have to worry about budgets, timelines. What influence do you have over your own work? What, you know, you designate a task to somebody and they change all of the dialogue that you had originally created, right? Like, that's fascinating to me. And so he gave it, he did a Reddit AMA um 
he did a Reddit AMA, like, I don't know, a couple of years ago, uh, where he talked about, someone asked him about, like, what's your process? Like, what's the process of making a video game? And here was his quote. Here's how I break it down. One, have an idea, whether it's yours or another person. Two, get funding for the game. Three, complete completing a game to have as many players enjoy the game around the world. Four, providing the game to the world and recouping the money from step two. This hasn't changed for me in the time I have been in the game industry. So why I went through all this is because, you know, you can't just make a game, right? And there's so many other uh, things that go into it. And so I think it's just really fascinating to think about how like video games are a form of expression, but they're a lot harder to express yourself sometimes unless you're doing all the work solo. Absolutely, because it requires a, uh, a vast amount of technology and technological knowledge. And yeah. money. It just requires a whole bunch of money to make it. Yeah. It really does. So speaking of money, I don't have numbers, but for a time, Harvest Moon A Wonderful Life was uh, the best-selling Harvest Moon game. Um, I talked to Carrie, who helped me set this episode up, and she says this is probably one of the best versions of the game. Um, again, you had multiple versions, a boy version on the GameCube in 2004, a special edition on the PS2 in 2005, the girl version came out on the GameCube in 2005. So, <clears throat> Wada has made this game that he always wanted to make. End of the episode, right? We're done yeah, here. Yeah, let's leave it. Of course. Yeah. Uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah, Have a good day. Um, see yeah, you have a good one. next week. Nice chatting with you all. Okay. There's our end theme. What is it? What's the plot twist? Give me the plot twist, Tyler. What is it? They keep cranking games out. I promise I'm going somewhere with all of this. I'm going to tell you about all these games. More farming games. Are we going to talk about 20 more iterations of Harvest Moon? Yes, bring it. (laughs) And in this one, they gave you the ability to get golden tools. All right, so 2005. Because gold makes shit tools. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's soft. Why would you ever want it? Anyway. Uh, Wada takes over in 2005. Wada takes over as president of Marvelous Interactive, and he's basically running the oh. show. And so he's even further supervising games, and uh, he started allowing other people to put their own ideas in the game as well. Um, so it's now, not just now his he thing does anymore. That. Now also other people can <laughs> include their ideas. In. Oh, oh, it's been long enough. Uh, what do you guys think? What we should do? And not, not, how about not a farming game? We're going to keep on doing farming games. Let's stop asking people what they want to do. Let's make another farming game. People want more farming. In the last game, you couldn't grow summer squash. And now you can. And one day this guy comes into his office like, Oh, Wada, I have made this game where you shoot pigs in the face. Uh, and he's like, his eyes grow red and his cheeks start bristling. <laughs> Out of my office, you. <laughs> wait until you hear about the game that comes after this <laughs> so okay. uh so he he starts letting other people have more creative input and so he starts seeing himself as someone who would come up with concepts for games launch them and then once that series had been started he would pick producers to work on it for him and so 
he talks about this a lot in all of his interviews about how there's this associated risk with starting up a new intellectual property and how he wanted to be that guy who would be willing to forge ahead with strange things that other people might not want to try. Plus, the gaming market was kind of becoming more casual. So he was trying to find, um, you know, footing there in weird ways. Okay, so <clears throat> more games. 2005, Harvest Moon Boy and Girl comes out for the PSP, which is just a port of Harvest Moon Back to Nature. 2006, Harvest Moon Magical Melody comes out for the GameCube. This one had this like story where there's like a depressed harvest goddess and you're trying to wake her up by like doing stuff because she's like real bummed. Oh. <laughs> uh, I know, right? 2006, Harvest Moon DS boy version and Harvest Moon DS cute girl version. These were more or less a remake of Harvest Moon A Wonderful Life and Another Wonderful Life, which was sort of like a secondary But cuter. But cuter, because girls are cute and boys are not allowed to be cute. Boys don't have adjectives. Adjectives <laughs> are unmanly. <laughs> boys are, are terse and to the point, and girls get flowery language added to their games. Uh, regardless, I think the Harvest Moon DS game uh, sold close to 500,000 units, right? Like, is a lot, comparatively. So, <clears throat> while they are slamming out games... Harvest Moon's 10th anniversary hits. Yes, all of those games came out in 10 years. They decide to create a spinoff, and they get an outside company called Neverland. Here comes a new company you'll have to keep track of to develop it for them. So, in 2006 in Japan, and in 2007 in the United States, they release a game called Rune Factory, a fantasy Harvest Moon. Ooh. So... You have a game that is licensed and funded by Marvelous, developed by Neverland, and published in the U.S. by Natsume. So there's three companies who are dealing with this game. In one interview, they described it as, quote, Harvest Moon, where you wield a sword. It is a Harvest Moon adventure game. So what I find really fucking strange about this is that he specifically made Harvest Moon games to not be fighting games. So why he signed off on a fighting version of Harvest Moon is beyond me, but super popular. Small theory. He's, he uh -huh. started off as an, as an artist with ideals. Uh -huh. And as he grew older, because he seems to understand money, because he made this work and he became president and he kept on making money, he started to understand that to make more art, making money is important. So he started opening up to new ideas to make more money, to make more art. Because he was like, he's like an, an, an aged artist. Because I, I once, I worked with this this guy that worked in the theater. And he, he once said that as he grew older, he started to get more open towards the idea of just making, making plays to generate re revenue. And then, to mm -hmm. also do stuff that's fun and that um, satisfies him in an artistic way. I remember you talking about that guy. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. Um, I could see that. I, see, here's the thing that really, you know, when we talk about some of these other games, they, they'll they tell you, like, we made this game because blank. Or, you know, they're being very 
upfront about it. I can't find a ton of stuff about why they made some of the decisions that they made. I, I can only look at what's there in interviews you, and in their PR. I stuff. mean, in this whole podcast thing, we we speculate a lot. We and do. That's yeah. but if you get into this, you gotta you gotta know that we do that, and and we're just mm-hmm. throwing around ideas. And um, but I think the yep. speculation can sometimes mean something it can't. Um, but yeah. we had people that openly said that they made games just to make money. Just like, I came back to her again, Kim Swift. She said it. She said, we need to get jobs. We we were, we were right. in video game school and that might have been a bad decision if we fuck up now. So we got to make something that makes us money or be on the street with $400,000 of college tuition debt. I mean, shit, look at our Peter mm. Molyneux episode, right? <laughs> that dude was just like, hey, here's money. <laughs> Whatever. Can you make a video sure, game? Right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yeah, I can. <laughs> it's, like, it's like 10 video game consoles to you. Do you you are that company, right? Uh, no, that's, that's me. me. <laughs> I, I, I make games on video game consoles. <laughs> <laughs> Sure, I do. Yep. Hide the beans, Peter. Hide the fucking beans. Don't tell them about the beans, Peter. I will never get. I will never get tired of that story. I fucking love it. But if you weren't sick about hearing about all these different companies yet, okay, in 2008, Marvelous starts working with a company called Xseed. Okay, Mm -hmm. I'm telling you all these companies for a reason. Okay, Xseed was created in 2004, and from what I understand, it was apparently made in the U.S. Okay, so it's a U.S. company. Uh, It was made in the U.S. by a bunch of people who used to work for Square Enix's branch uh, in the U.S. Mm -hmm. So, mostly a localization and publishing company. Their parent company was this other company called AQ Interactive. They'll come up later as well. So, Marvelous is now working with uh, Neverland to develop the Rune Factory games. They are also working with Xseed to publish their other stuff in the US, but they let Natsume keep localizing their Harvest Moon games. And so, from what I understand, as they keep putting out Rune Factory games, they let uh, Natsume and Xseed sort of uh, switch responsibilities between them, like they alternate, yeah. right? Okay, more games keep hitting. Uh, 2008, Rune Factory 2 for the DS. Uh, 2008, uh, in Japan, Rune Factory Frontier for the Wii, which hit in 2009 in the US. 2008, Harvest Moon, Tree of Tranquility on the Wii. If you weren't sick of Harvest Moon games, don't worry, you will be. But, at this point, WADA is going even further up the company food chain. I, I promise that I am telling you this story for a reason. So, 2008, Wada becomes the chief commercial officer of Marvelous Entertainment. He is responsible for operations and creative direction of this entire division of the company at this time. So, at this point, he's so far removed from the games that he's basically just coming up with concepts and handing them off to other people. He is not in the thick of it anymore. So, one example I think of is that he came up with this idea around this time called A King's Story. Or um, I think it's also called Little King's Story. And it's about a boy and he finds a king's crown and he puts it on and realizes that he now has the ability to command other people to do things. And so he uses that to build up a town and like revitalize and, things. And do the townspeople 
farm. <laughs> and, I'm sure. <laughs> and, and will it be about your grandfather that died a while ago? And will you have to manage your townspeople to seed things? Okay, I'm sorry. This was my late grandfather's crown. <laughs> and by wearing it, I can connect with him psychically and hear his thoughts. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so basically, he makes a bunch of concepts. Yeah. He passes it off to a guy named Yoshiro uh, Kimura. And uh, he later mentioned that this guy, uh, Kimura, changed a whole bunch of his original ideas, but it was out of his hands at that point. He was just, he was too far up the food chain. He couldn't do it anymore, right? And so he's cited as the executive producer of the game, but he really just came up with the original concept. Okay, let's just keep rattling through these games. 2009, Harvest Moon DS, Sunshine Islands comes out. A uh, couple of versions of this. The reason I stop here is because someone asked me, Carrie asked me to look up what the differences were. There's one called Sunshine Islands and one called Island of Happiness. They are both essentially the same. In game. one you are a boy, in another and you are in, in another one you are a girl. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think Island. I think Island of Happiness was just um, was just an easier version of it. Like it fixed some things. Um, Wada did concept designs here. Um, a guy named Nakano, who had worked on the second Harvest Moon, took over as producer. Um, 2009, Harvest Moon, Frantic Farming on the iOS comes out. It's published by Natsumi, but developed by a third party. It's like a fucking puzzle <laughs> game. Harvest Moon Animal Parade comes out on the Wii in 2009. Now, I'm going to do a little bit of a Quentin Tarantinoing here and tell you that this is the last Harvest Moon game that Yasuhiro Wada had any involvement in. He's got all this other stuff going on. So he's the producer again, but had less of a role. And so he realizes that this is going to be his last game. We'll talk about why later. And he decides he wants to bring in like as many of his old friends as he can to work on it, knowing it's probably his last. I won't get into too much of it. He still says Animal Parade is one of his favorites. He thinks it stacks up to the original theme. So 2010. Yasuhiro Wada resigns from Marvelous, citing personal reasons. He steps down as his post as director and uh, chief creative officer. He claimed he would have a small role in the company as an advisor, but decided to leave on his own terms. So, at this point in the story, Docs, we have a divergence. Wada is going to leave our story. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to finish up talking about what's going on with Harvest Moon... And we will catch up with Wada at the end of the episode. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wada's gone, right? That must be the end of Harvest Moon. Fuck no. We're going to milk that cash cow as much as we can. <laughs> so uh, 2009 Rune Factory hits for uh, the DS. 2010 Harvest Moon DS Grand Bazaar. 2010 Harvest Moon Hero of Leaf Valley. 2011 Harvest Moon Tale of Two Towns on the DS and 3DS. 2011, Rune Factory, Tides of Destiny on the Wii. 2012, Harvest Moon 3D, A New Beginning. 2012, Rune Factory 4, they are cranking them out. But unfortunately, at this point, the company making Rune Factory goes bankrupt. <laughs> Rune Factory 4 is the last one they make. Apparently, a bunch of developing staff gets hired into Marvelous. Okay. Enter more company drama that is relevant. Around this time, Marvelous tells Natsume, their longtime publishing company in the U.S., they are moving on. 
and that they are going to start publishing all of their games with their internally owned company, Xseed, yeah. that I mentioned to you before. Now, this makes sense, right? Why would you keep paying Natsume to do something you could do yourself? Yeah. You're perfectly qualified to do yourself. Yeah. Natsume, essentially, they just keep... I mean, they've worked with them for how long at this point? 20 years. But, you know, they're essentially raking in all this cash for a game that they didn't have anything to do with other than localizing it. So there was this push by Marvelous at this time to localize a lot of their stuff and use their own in-house things. And I think that they just wanted to end that relationship. And, and it might have just been money, but you know, I'm speculating here. I'm sure that there were other issues too. Okay. Why have I told you all of this endless company drama? Because here's the thing. One issue. Natsume owned the rights to the name harvest will they pull a guitar hero problem where that happens and nobody can publish games with that name anymore 100 percent. they said we're not fucking giving up harvest moon this is our baby we've been working on this since forever so you are no longer allowed to localize games and call them harvest moon So what ends up happening here is that the series fractures even further. Marvelous keeps on making Harvest Moon games, but now they are called Story of Seasons. They retain all of the rights to the old game's assets, everything. Natsume only owns the name Harvest Moon and decides to go on like nothing happened. So if you want to play original Harvest Moon games, you are looking for Story of Seasons. Those are the original games. Harvest Moon is its own offshoot now. Oh, so they renamed all the old games into Story of Seasons and they just republished them? Or what do they do? So I think any time that they remake one of them, they have to call it Story of Seasons now. They can't republish under Harvest Moon. I see. And so Carrie and I were talking about this when I I was working on this episode in the Discord, and she told me about how (laughs) Natsume was like, it's the 25th anniversary of Harvest Moon, and we're putting out a Harvest Moon game. But they never note that it's not the same series anymore, right? Because they don't don't have the rights to any of the old material. They had to remake it Mm -hmm. from scratch. Everything that they make is new. Yep, And they probably have to make it in a way that nobody can argue that it's just a blatant copy of Harvest Moon or Story of Seasons or however it's called. Yeah. Right. I don't know the, the legalese there, but yeah, there's that they definitely had to think when, on that. Whenever so. anything legal comes into the production of these pieces of art, it always mm-hmm. turns into this weird, useless trash. Doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It's all about money. So... Okay. Okay, so let's crank out the last of these games, and I won't sit too long on them. Uh, Natsume publishes their first game on their own called Harvest Moon The Lost Valley in 2014. It was the first uh, Harvest Moon game to use fully 3D movement, so it wasn't a top-down thing anymore. The gist I got from it, it was just, it was kind of like a Minecraft sort of thing, where you'd like change the environment block by block. Um, the first Harvest Moon to include a DLC... Um, which was interesting because we're hitting that era now, right? Yeah. Uh, 2015, Exceed 
and Marvelous put out the first story of seasons on the 3DS. It was originally called Harvest Moon Connect to a New Land before they split with Natsume. And then let's just rapid fire the rest of these. 2016, Natsume puts out Harvest Moon Seeds of Memories on the iOS and Android. 2016, Natsume puts out Harvest Moon Sky Tree Village on the 3DS. Xseed in 2017 puts out Story of Seasons, Trio of Towns. Natsume in 2018 puts out Harvest Moon The Light of Hope on the Switch. Apparently, this one kind of set some sales record at Natsume, like the best sales they'd ever had on a Harvest Moon yeah. game. That's according to the president of Natsume. Um... Marvelous Slash Exceed in 2019 puts out uh, a Rune Factory 4 Special Edition. Um, I think I own this game, but I've never played it. Um, someone wanted me to pick it up, but I, I have it. I've never touched it. Apparently it's awesome. Um, 2020, I've played this game too. Story of Seasons Remake, Friends of Mineral Town. Uh, by my count, this is the first Story of Seasons game that was officially available on PC. And you may say... Boy, that's a lot of games, but wait, there's more. Coming out next year, Natsume is making Harvest Moon One World, which drops on the Switch on March 5th, 2021. Story of Seasons has announced Pioneers of Olive Town, which drops on the Switch on March 23rd, and Rune Factory 5 put out a trailer in September 2020 and is slated for a May 2021 release. That is fucking exhausting, isn't it? It is. Also, just saying... That whenever I think I want to play something that's like Harvest Moon, I will not play Story of Seasons, nor will I play Harvest Moon. <laughs> I will play, say it. Stardew Valley? Yes, of course, I will play Stardew Valley. <laughs> because it's a better game. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a minute, yeah. too. <laughs> I promise I will talk about Eric Barone because he's really relevant to yeah. this episode. Also, if you so. want to send me hate mail... Um, because I think Stardew Valley is the better game than Harvest Moon or Story of Seasons, please refer to www.tv slash vegan Tyler. That fucking... Who's that German guy you bring on? I don't like his opinions. They're different than mine. <laughs> okay, so the gist I got out of this is just like... How much fucking farming can you do, right? Like, that's so many games. It's more than anyone could ever play. Like, how many fucking farm simulators do you need? How many possible variations of farming could there be? You know what the best-selling game in Germany was for a while? What? Farm simulator. Farming simulator. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Of course. Um, <laughs> that game looks so boring to me. It must me. be pretty cool. Um I watched one of our friends stream it for a while and he spent an hour with a thresher just driving over crops. That was all he did. He just drives back and forth and crops would get put into a thing and he'd be like, oh yes, that's a good year. <laughs> and I was like, this is not a game for me. <laughs> like, But again, right? Like I totally get that. There's like a Zen. Absolutely. It, right? I think that's why you buy it. You're like a, 35 year old dude or 35 year old woman and you work all day in this mm. shitty office where everybody where you hate everybody and you just want to come out and wind down farming yeah some stuff right like oh yes my soybeans are doing oh, well this year mm, yes mm, yes mm. <laughs> what a good harvest <laughs> okay so 
now that we've we, we've talked about this, right? <clears throat> I specifically wanted to do this because th- this whole episode was spawned because I was having a discussion with uh, Carrie, and we were, if I remember the story, if this correctly, this is months and months ago, and I was like, "What the hell? What's the difference between Story Seasons and Harvest Moon and stuff?" And she kind of like knew a little bit about it, and then she went and did all this stuff and like did all this research and was like, "You should do an episode on this because that split, like, no one knows about it, right?" And so what's weird is, is if you didn't know, you'd probably think that Story of Seasons is the knockoff, but it's the original. Yeah, you would right? think that. Yeah. Right. So, okay. So there's actually an article that I actually, uh, that she found and it's literally called what the hell is going on with Harvest Moon? <laughs> <laughs> right. Cause no one knew there's like five fucking companies here. And speaking of companies, what the hell happened to Yasuhiro what's Wada? Up Wada? Well, what's up with Wada? I have two bro? theories. First one, he moved to the countryside and fulfilled his artist dream in reality now because for all his time he dreamed about going back to the country but never did it and now there was Mm -hmm. only one way to go he he had fulfilled his perfect fantasy and now he just had to do it Mm -hmm. other theory uh, he just used all his money to live a very luxurious life and died three years later from pancreas cancer or something knock on wood (laughs) (laughs) well let me tell you it's neither of those that's good so when we last left Wada, he had left Marvelous in March 2010, citing personal reasons, but he spoke later about why he left. Quote, While I felt that game creation was my job, Marvelous operates on a hierarchy of experience, and gradually I was forced to take a more managing role. Then, I was completely cut off from developing games myself, and I was stuck in a dilemma. During this situation, uh, Goichi Suda from Grasshopper Manufacturer invited me to make games together and I changed companies. So Wada was like, I'm fucking sick of doing all this supervising. I just want to make games again. Right. And I was, when I was thinking about this episode, right. Because I don't know if any of you know my process with this, but I work on these over like a period of weeks or sometimes even months. And so I'll be working on things that I'm trying to relate them to my life. And I have, a, I have a real life friend who, uh, shout out to my buddy, you'll know who you are when I say this, who has a PhD in chemistry. And lately he's been talking to me about how he has this job, right? That, you know, um, it's, it's a good job at a, a, a big name company. And he says to me sometimes, he's just like, you know, man, I just miss being in the lab and doing chemistry. If you talk to if you, I, I know do. him and if you talk to him, you notice how he misses it. <laughs> he really yeah. does. Right. Or like, I started thinking about it too. Like, okay, so like I do political science, right? Those of you who know me know that I'm, I'm working on a dissertation and I teach classes on American politics. And you know what I miss sometimes? Being in the thick of it, going out and knocking on doors, you know, trying to get as many votes as I could, talking to people, right? Like that kind of like boots on the ground shit is what got me into politics. And I, and I miss it sometimes. And so I don't know if it would suck now that I'm in my 30s. You know, and I'm not a spry 20 year old anymore who couldn't go to the bar with my friends afterward because I was too young. But like, I, I just think that there's something to like, you know, I see where how it, it worked with him is that he just loved making games where he could express himself. And suddenly he's handing off his ideas to other people who changed so, them. So did he make new games? 
He did. So let's talk about that. So do you remember I mentioned that guy uh, who worked, he he handed off the story to uh, a King's story is what it was called. Yes. Uh, his name was uh, Yoshiro Kimura. Yeah. Well, they both leave Marvelous and they go to this, this place called Grasshopper Manufacturer in October 2010. So Wada works there a little while and realizes he's running into the exact same issues that he had at Marvelous. There were already a lot of developers there. And they go, hey, man, you've been in the industry for a while. Guess what? You're a manager now. And he's like, well, wait, I just fucking left this, right? So here's his quote. With that experience, I realized that at my age and with my resume, I would end up taking a managerial role no matter what. Yet I still wanted to make games. So I thought the only way would be to create my own company, which we now know as Toybox Incorporated. So... August 2011, less than a year after he started at Grasshopper, Wada leaves and forms a new company called Toybox Incorporated with his friend Tomio Kanazawa. Now, I did a little bit of digging on Kanazawa, uh, and he was with Wada from the start all the way back to the first Harvest Moon game. So they're, they're, they, they've known each other for a long time. And Kanazawa has served in various roles on the games, working at Pack-In Games all the way up to Marvelous, right? He's well known for a game you might have heard of called Deadly Premonition, which he worked on during his time at Marvelous. I don't know that game. It's kind of a cult classic kind of game. Well, it's kind of like a weird, scary game that maybe we'll do an episode on later. Okay. Um, <clears throat> famous game. So here you have Wada, like some other big name Japanese developers, leaving a very large company to start up a smaller company where he has more creative control. And so in some interviews, he mentioned that like part of the reason he stopped working on Harvest Moon was because uh, he felt like he had come up with every possible idea that he could. It's hard to innovate when you run out of ideas, right? So as he put it, quote, what one human can think of in their mind is a very limited. Wait, he said that he ran out of ideas because he had so many, right? There were so many different ideas he had during his time. So, like, I, I can only, like, that one concept he had about farming, and then there was that other concept <laughs> that was that also included f farming. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I can't imagine how, he, how, how it must have felt for him that a person with such a vast amount of ideas, how it must have felt to finally, after such a long time, finally run out of them. So I will stand up. I will stand up for Wada's honor here and say, imagine this situation. All right, Docs, you're the new Peter Molyneux of this story. And <laughs> someone says, make a farming game. So what do you say? Sure, bro. I'll make Nobody a farming game. Nobody told him to make a farming game. Everybody told him not to make a farming game. <laughs> All right. That's, that's actually fair. All right. You make a farming game. And then someone says, that's really great. Make another one. And you go, okay. And they're like, and add new stuff. And you go, cool, now you can get horses or whatever. And they're like, that one was good. Make another one. And it's like, uh, there's a there's a fairy and you've got to collect <laughs> music notes, which is actually the plot of one of those, right? Yeah. And it's like, okay, make another one. And um, now there's there's a fairy on an island and uh, you can fly. And, and, and right? Another like, theory why there was a boy and a girl version, he had to, he had a contract and, to, and he had to fulfill a contingent of how many games he creates for the company. So he had the idea, we're just going to make two games out of one. 
<laughs> that is a that could be. So, uh, but also he put. Um, I liked I like this so, and I'll explain why I like this in a minute before I even talk about his game. So quote. Launching new IPs is difficult. When you're not developing for iOS or social games, retail is a hurdle. Toybox is going to try. Our philosophy is we're going to launch new IPs for consoles and handhelds, which might be linked to iOS, Android, and other devices to build a brand. Now, why am I reading you this quote? Because I might have this somewhere later here as we start finishing up. I want to get into his games and stuff too. But he talked about how in the industry you have huge gigantic companies and then you have these little indie developers but there there's the middle ground of like middle range companies are fading they either are an indie company or they grow large enough to get absorbed by a large company and so in his mind he wanted to tread that middle ground be big enough to throw their weight around and start some different new intellectual properties but not so small that they couldn't like fund all of their ideas. Does this make sense? Yes. Okay. So what did Wada get up to now that he has this new company? So the first thing he puts out is called Hometown Story. And this is on the Nintendo DS in October 2013. And so he makes a game where you take over your grandmother's shop. And in his eyes, it takes place in the Harvest Moon universe, but it's different with its own story. I love your face. <laughs> you stock shelves, run a store. There's NPCs that appear as your shop grows. You play a fucking NPC, NPC in the Harvest Moon universe and he claims, oh, that's a new idea. Finally, I can develop this thing that was completely not possible in my original job. <laughs> Wada, Wada left two jobs to get his own thing and makes a fucking Harvest Moon he game makes the first thing out. <laughs> the dude gave up creative director at this giant company to have room to grow and he makes a fucking harvest moon what game immediately it's an, it's an npc spin-off hey guys want to play like one of the unimportant people in one of the harvest moon games that never get to do anything but stand in, in the shop and sell seeds to that dude that is actually running the story that's okay so that's actually not that far off on what the fucking game was okay but i will say it had some cool ideas all right so there were a hundred different villagers, but you never saw all of them throughout the game because they would only show up based on what you did, yes. right? So, like, the changes you made to your shop would influence who showed up, who did things, etc., etc. He originally called it, quote, Project Happiness because he wanted a game to be about spreading happiness to people. The game is distributed by Natsume because this is before the split. It was technically a Harvest Moon game, and this is before the split happened, and it didn't do very well. I think I read somewhere that it only sold like 5,500 copies in its first week of release in Japan, which is pretty bad in video game terms when you're talking about someone with the stature of Wada. Now, I talked to Carrie about this. Carrie pre-ordered this game, and she said that my description of it, like, oh, you run this shop and these cool NPCs show up, makes it sound more interesting than it is, because it was pretty lackluster. Okay. You could, like, pretty much all you did is stock your shelves and talk to people but you couldn't give them things to improve your relationship. And so like the whole game felt empty and we aren't really sure what happened here, but it had very little depth. It had very little content. You basically run a shop, you work a minimum wage job and uh, that's it. There aren't houses around you. The people that you meet say the exact same thing every day. There are no cutscenes. 
We are not really sure why he was so excited for it and why it turned out so bad. But his first venture away from Harvest Moon is like not Harvest Moon, but is also Harvest Moon. I don't know. No one knows why he did this. But four years go by and he gets up to this game called Birthdays The Beginning or Birthdays Are Beginnings, depending on what it is, which version you have. Now. This is your face, dog. This, this guy also doesn't really have it for titling, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure some of this is translations. I love, too, how, right? I, like I really love the concept of the Harvest Moon games, and I do like shopkeeper games. Yeah. So, what's birthdays? The beginning. It is a god game where you have a cube-shaped world on a grid. You mess around with the temperature of the land. And you, by depending on how you change the topography, it spawns different organisms. Everything from single-celled stuff all the way up to like dinosaurs and plants and all kinds of weird critters. And so you have this macro mode where you zoom out on this weird cube you can rotate, and micro mode where you can zoom in and tinker with stuff. And so it's nothing like a Harvest Moon game. It's a it's a it's an environment simulator. Yeah, that's pretty and cool. And so you can keep a log of everything that you figured out how to create as you mess with the topography and the temperature and figure out what can spawn. And so he says he was inspired by a Japanese children's manga called Doraemon. Doraemon? Anyway, where the character has tools that people in that universe can use to create their own worlds and then they can mess with them, right? And so it's a sandbox game. And so on the topic of how this is different from all the other stuff he's done, in an interview he did with GameSpot in 2016, quote, But you mentioned Birthdays is a little different than Harvest Moon. It actually isn't. Pause, because of course he can't get away from it. Uh, Both deal with creation in their own distinct ways. Let's just say we zoomed in on the world we create in Birthdays further than what you are actually capable of. What you'd see there, that would be Harvest Moon. From that perspective, you'd be zoomed in on a farmer's daily life. But with Birthdays, you're zoomed out, creating things on a bigger scale. But it's the same thing. End quote. Okay. So apparently... On, uh, they put out a version on the Switch in 2018 that's just called Happy Birthdays, and that gave it more like, it was more like a game and less of a simulator. They improved a bunch of stuff. I guess they got really bad feedback in the beginning. Um, uh, it didn't do well, and they tried to incorporate some new things. Um, they tried to, like, direct you to ways you could do things, and like, oh, if you want to spawn this critter, do these things, right? Like, I also think just calling it Happy Birthdays is a much better title than Birthdays The Beginning, right? Yeah. But I watched Carrie play a little bit of this in the Discord. It was pretty interesting. But here is a relevant quote, a relevant thing to us. I'm reading some stuff about this game. And I came across an interview where he was talking about what his inspiration for this game was. He mentioned that while he was growing up, he was really into simulator games. Specifically, he name drops Sim Earth, Sim City, and wait for it, Populous. But people would watch him play Populous and talk about how complicated it was and how it didn't look fun to play. So he wanted a game with an easier learning curve that was still complex. And so he has said that he's really into making simulation games, and that's what he wanted to focus on as he moved forward. It's just he started organically specializing in his own things, right? Quote, I always want to create games with unique concepts. In a way, that's part of why I keep creating simulation games. Quote. But, quote, I have met Peter Molyneux, and I was able to chat with him. 
but it was nothing concerning birthdays. It was more so a starstruck fan meeting an idol of theirs for the first time than a discussing discussion concerning development. It's really rare to get an opportunity to talk to with other developers about creating games. So Wada loves Peter Molyneux. <laughs> he thinks he's like the fucking best thing since sliced bread and was like, oh my God, I get to meet Peter Molyneux, the guy who made Populous, right? But he's like, he has so many more games than Peter ever did, right? Like, I find it fascinating how uh, he attributes all this stuff to awesome. Peter, right? So <clears throat> Carrie and I, uh, we actually looked at some of this stuff. We talked about how you can change the terrain a lot. It is similar to Populous in some ways. Um, Carrie called it, and I liked this, Baby's First Populous Game. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway. <clears throat> all right. His most recent game. It's called Little Dragon's Cafe. It came out in August 2018 and it released on the Switch. You and your twin sibling are responsible for managing a bed and breakfast after your mother falls ill. A weird old man appears and gives you a dragon. Your job is to forage and collect ingredients to make better stuff for your cafe. You cook recipes, you serve your guests. Cooking the right meals with the right ingredients at the right time increases the reputation of your bed and breakfast, which brings you more people, etc., etc. You see a lot of the same themes there. The game has a very storybook aesthetic. Nice. I do like these kinds of games, um, though. So I, I, I think I, I can understand someone who, who just loves creating these kinds of things. Yeah, and he knows that he's good yeah. at them, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, he's talked about how, like, he realized that that's what he wanted to specialize in, and that was the kind of things he wanted to yeah. make. Um, what's interesting about Little Dragon's Cafe is there isn't really a time pressure like you have in in the Harvest Moon games or, or Story Seasons, I, get this, I guess, at this point. You don't have to water crops or anything. There's no farming. The plot just kind of progresses at its own pace based on, like, did you complete story goals? It's just a laid-back thing, right? You feed a dragon. It turns into different stuff. You fly around. Yeah. Um, it got okay reviews. People were really unhappy with how bad the load times were. It's paced kind of strangely. It's kind of middle of the road. Okay. But re reviewers were like, yeah, Watt is making cool stuff, right? It's innovative. Um, I looked at some Steam reviews because it's on Steam. Off the cuff, they were pretty bad. They're like, yeah, this is cute, but it's not worth your money, but that's up to you. Yeah. And other than that, Wada worked on a producer as a few other things at the company, but like th the games I just mentioned are pretty much like, really all that's worth talking about, and I haven't seen much about Wada since. So, let's talk about the legacy of, of Harvest Moon. So, what has Harvest Moon done? So first off, Wada said anecdotally that a lot of people in Japan, because of his games, were inspired to get out of the city and go check out what farming life was like. And he says, you know, it's, it's not just a, about appreciating farming it's also about preserving like like he always thought of his games as like showing people this other side of the world so that they would appreciate nature more and here's what he says quote i'm not pushing to go back to the countryside life i want to tell people that you need to take care of the nature of nature in the forest and since everybody's going to the cities there's no one in the countryside and nobody is taking care of nature yeah so Wada thinks that the reason that Harvest Moon stuck around so long is just th that, and I will give him credit for this, they were always willing to communicate with fans on what they wanted. They could take criticism and build on it, 
Quote, whenever we challenged ourselves to a new idea or concept, they provided feedback. And, you know, this guy essentially created the farming game genre that we know of now that we're just like, oh, yeah, that's a farming game. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's something that um, um, I think, especially by publishers of the time, was just was just not accepted. So by him him pushing through his um, superiors, he was the first one to push through. Yeah. So I thought what we would do at this point in the episode before we finish up is just take a couple of minutes and talk about a few games that came to mind for me that I don't know if would have existed if Harvest Moon hadn't existed. And so I did this in a chronological order, but uh, the first one is, do you remember Farmville from 2009? Like, man, that fucking game took off, didn't it? Uh, For those of you who didn't know, it was this highly annoying Facebook game that would let you build a farm and grow crops and stuff. I thought it was annoying because my friends were always trying to send me notifications yeah, on me Facebook too. to play it with them. <laughs> um, it, it got so big that South Park did an episode on it, which, like I said, is always my metric of how big a game is, yeah. right? Um, Stardew Valley hit in 2016. Now, so it launched in 2016, made by a guy named Eric Barona. We've mentioned him a couple of times. I think that Stardew Valley is maybe the best successor to the Harvest Moon yeah. format. and. I won't get too far into this because I like Harvest Moon or Harvest Moon Stardew Valley so much that I think Stardew Valley deserves its own episode. But in my mind, Stardew Valley is the best representation of this idea. And so there is a really cool interview out there. It's like 16, 17 minutes long where Eric Barone and Wada met up to talk to each other about their games. And I strongly encourage you to look it up. But here's what Wada had to say about meeting Eric. Quote, I actually met Eric Barone recently. I told him I was very happy. Instead of Harvest Moon being forgotten, it has become powered up and it has gotten even better. It is still living on, even though I'm not working on it anymore. I'm really happy that's happening. That's awesome. He also had a little bit more of like uh, why he thought that might be. And he says, the first version of Harvest Moon had the biggest map grid out of all the games and provided the most freedom to the players. As the games got newer, the grids we were working with got smaller and smaller, reducing the freedom that you had. I'm not saying that this is bad, but the series had evolved in a different direction. There were more characters, the animation got better, the graphics got better, etc. But the freedom of the series decreased as those improvements were made. After seeing Stardew Valley, I feel that it carries on the legacy of the original Harvest Moon very well because of the freedom that you have in it. You've played a lot of that game, haven't you? I did. And I always enjoy that kind of freedom. It doesn't tell you what to do, and it also doesn't tell you how to do things, which in the beginning makes it rough, but um, it makes you enjoy it even more because everything you achieve in these games is achieved by yourself and by nobody else. Yeah. Dude, I know some people who get really into that game. Uh, I know specifically a person in our little streaming community who keeps a spreadsheet of what their crops are and where they're going to place yeah. them. And I'm like, okay. yeah, you, you can, you can <laughs> min max the fuck out of these games. But I think that that appeals to a certain kind of brain, yeah. right? Like min maxing that feels really mm-hmm. good to, you know, those kind Absolutely. of people. I'm just kind of like, fuck, I threw some crops there. Let them right <laughs> uh, also of note, um, my time at Porsche. I don't know if oh, you played yeah. that I one. I have it and I touched it twice and never got into it. I have to do it. Yeah. 
I played a bunch of it. I kind of think of it as almost like a 3D Stardew, but um, different. My fiance got super into that game. I mean, just hundreds of hours. Lots of similarities. I'd say that the difference there is that it's, you know, it's fully 3D. And the main goal is crafting whilst while farming is like a subsection of that. So like if Stardew is the farming side, Porsche is like the crafting side. It's just a different focus. It also had more combat in it, I thought. So couldn't one say that even maybe original Animal Crossing might have been at, at least slightly inspired by Harvest Moon. How so? It's a game. It's a, it's a game about peaceful coexistence in a town. You have your own kind of island. You can kind of have crops. You can interact with others and trade. Um, it's a um, rather non-violent game within a countryside-like community it's not as the yeah. connection is not as close as it would be to Stardew Valley or My Time at Porsche but I, th I think I see it I can see that too yeah that, that, that kind of game where you're just kind of living right just having a life and doing yeah. things um, one last one that I had was Graveyard Keeper which came out in 2018 that's, I know you've played that totally right? uh, Harvest Moon but with corpses <laughs> <laughs> yep, with bodies. <laughs> that is exactly the same. You also have a town where yeah. you get supplies to, to take better care of your corpses. <laughs> so. And the people pay you to take good care of the corpses. And you, and you got to make the corpses and their gravestones pretty. And you can arrange them however you want to. And nobody tells you what to do. And, and don't of you course. also get the... You, don't, I think you also move into the graveyard keeping business from the city. You kind of travel into the past or something. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, look at Stardew Valley, right? Stardew Valley's whole story is you're working a shitty desk job and you move into the country to take over a farm, yeah, yeah. right? <clears throat> okay, so wrapping up. I got to tell you, man, through interviews with this dude, I really like him. Like, I don't know, maybe he's like, some secretly evil person or something. But like, I honestly just like every interview with him, he's so excited. He always has a lot of ideas. He was never afraid to take risks, even if they failed. And the main goal of all of his games is just to make people happy. Right. And, and here's a quote he had on that quote. The concept of happiness depends on how you see it. I'm not going to say that this is the correct happiness you have to feel. I want players to find their own happiness by playing my game. He seems to be like a wholesome, non-assumptuous dude that right? just tries to, to be nice about things. Yeah. yeah. Again, I'll reiterate, it's it, it's hard to find stuff on his personal life. He's a very private person. Um, and, you know, he, he always just kind of has he, these great ideas for games, and they're always really weirdly received, and they're always kind of like Harvest Moon, but then not... And then he blends back into the shadows for a while. And no one's hears from him. And then he shows up and he's got some new game. That's like kind of like harvest moon, but not. And then he disappears. Um, and you know, they're always similar to harvest moon, but they never end up being as, as good as harvest moon, I guess just off the cuff. But like one thing, you know, that I also thought was really fascinating about all of this is just like, it's really interesting to see this guy's vision of what he wants spiral out of his hands, right? Like, look, this happens every fucking time in all of these episodes. Yeah. You get this thing and you have this cool idea and then suddenly it's like fucking 85 starts, games. It starts right? moving faster than yourself. And it just, yeah. He yeah. 
he completely removes himself and uh someone asked him later they were like do you want to work on harvest moon games again and this was his quote not at all (laughs) (laughs) i see harvest moon more as my child now it's all grown up it's married it started a family and it's doing its own thing now i'm curious as to how it's going to do from here on out but i don't feel the need to get involved with the series anymore it's very healthy yeah I would say the closest he got to a har- the Harvest Moon style, in my opinion, uh, other than that weird uh, spinoff where you're like a shopkeeper, was Little Dragon's Cafe. But like, it's just different. Um, I would just say overall, I just had a lot of fun listening to this guy talk about challenging himself, trying to make people happy, thinking about how like I want to make this game to to bring people enjoyment, and 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 also like. I hope this episode clears up some of the weirdness that's going on with Harvest Moon and Story Yeah, seasons. that might have been the most helpful part of this. Also, what do you get out of all of this, Docs? Um, I get out of this that I finally understand what one of my favorite games, um, how my, how one of my favorite games came to be. And this is really nice. I did not know that this man was only ever created Harvest Moon games. Pretty much. Yeah. Thank you so much for this. This I was really he- cool. I'm glad you liked it. Um, I again, I want to thank Carrie for all of her help with all of this. Um, you know, I I, I, ch- I cleared a lot of this stuff with her and, and asked her for her opinion on things because I don't play a lot of farming games. I've only played a couple, and so it was nice to have someone to not only help me do the research but also to ask questions when I was like, I don't know what this is. Tell yeah. me about this, nice. right? So thank you, Carrie, if you're listening. I really appreciate. Thank you very help. much. So, yeah. All right, well, I guess that's it for us. Uh, this has been Codex Rex, the video game history podcast. We are looking forward to our next episode and to hanging out again. I hope you all have a great day and let's see each other soon. Stay healthy. Have a good one. Yep, stay safe. See you, everybody. Bye.